Let's see if I can do this. It's good to be back. I had to take two weeks off after I got hit by kidney stones. It's nothing serious, just excruciating pain. On a scale of one to ten, kidney stones are a ten. Uh, ultimate pain. It's like being forced to watch the series finale of Modern Family. So painful, so painful. And it required medication that turned my brain into mush. I'm still taking some of that medication. And uh, for a while, I just couldn't do anything. So I know there are people out there with real pain and uh, real sickness. I want to assure you I'm fine. I'm just not 100%, so please be patient with me. Kidney stones are something else. I would wish them on my worst enemy. I would. I would, I would wish kidney stones on my worst enemy. It's a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, signifying nothing. It's just pain, just pure pain. And there are a lot of people I wish kidney stones on. A lot of people deserve a lot of physical pain to give them time to think about who they are and what they've done. Unfortunately, these are the same people who can afford doctors as well as pain medication. But I've had some time to think and read. I thought of my excruciating pain and the pain so many Americans must live with because they're too frightened to see a doctor for fear of bankruptcy. I have pretty good insurance, but even I am terrified of the surprise bills that await me. The doctors, the nurses who cared for me, kindest people I've ever met in my life. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, is this going to break my bank? In America, they try to convince us that we are consumers of health care. We have a choice. We shop around. But when you're in agonizing pain, you're not a consumer. You're not shopping around for the best urologist like he's a flat screen TV at Best Buy. You hop into the nearest emergency room and you throw yourself on the mercy of the American health care system. Now, it varies from state to state and city to city. I live in Manhattan and I've been assured there are laws here in Manhattan that will protect me from the ravages of our health insurance industry. But we shall see. Now, kidney stones are painful. That's it. Nothing serious. Just a lot of pain and it took a lot out of me. And I'm curious to see what my insurance covers and what it doesn't. Well, did I say curious? Terrified. I'm terrified to see what my insurance covers and what, what it doesn't. We shall see. Free health care is a human right. And if you don't believe that, you're a monster. 30 million Americans still have no health insurance despite Obamacare. And 43% of us, 43% of America's working adults have Obamacare 
but can't afford to use it. What kind of country is this? What kind of people are we? Medicare for all. Medicare for all changes everything. Nobody should have the pain I suffered and be too frightened to see a doctor. We are the only industrialized nation that puts up with this, and it is unmitigated greed. That is it. It's just greed. Medicare for all. Ask your parents or your grandparents what they think of Medicare. Ask our veterans what they think of government-provided health care administered by the Veterans Administration. They will tell you it's not perfect because nothing is, but they wouldn't trade it for private insurance. Medicare for all. It is criminal that health insurance companies are allowed to exist. By law, 20% of health insurance costs in America are allowed to go towards overhead, towards salaries, unnecessary paperwork, and dividends for stockholders. By law, here in America, we allow a 20% markup on health insurance that we know of. We spend nearly $5 trillion a year here in America on health care, $5 trillion. That's more per capita than any other country with the worst results. America's life expectancy is shrinking and we're actually getting shorter here in America. Now, Big Pharma plays a role in this, but at least they make something. Big Pharma, problematic, but they do cure disease. Granted, Big Pharma gets most of their research and development money from our government, but at least they make something. Health insurance companies, however, do nothing. They're like Robert Iger, the head of Disney. They create nothing. They do nothing other than skim off the top and create obstacles for the people who know what they're actually doing. Health insurance companies create nothing other than paperwork. It is the job of a health insurance company to rob patients and doctors of time. Doctors must hire two, sometimes three full-time employees just to deal with the health insurance companies so they can get paid and their treatments for their patients can be authorized. How is this efficient? How is this not criminal? There is no added value. Healthcare brings no added value. Health insurance companies bring no added value. They are like pirate toll booth operators who see a bridge they didn't build, they can't repair it, but they just stand in front of it and say, give me 20 bucks or you're gonna swim across. They are mobsters. Health insurance companies are racketeers. They run a protection scheme. Healthcare is incredibly expensive, they say, so give us your money. Well, it's expensive because healthcare, health insurance companies are demanding all this money. You mark it up by at least 20%. Doesn't matter. Give us your money or something terrible will happen to you. 
and you give them your money and they don't protect you, they rob you. Oftentimes, they kill you. It's the mob. 20% of America's gross domestic product is spent on health care. Now, again, Big Pharma is responsible for some of that, but at least Big Pharma produces cures to diseases and vaccines. But health insurance companies, they just make it more expensive to see a doctor by at least 20%. They do nothing other than make health care more expensive and more profitable for people who own stock in health insurance companies. That's all health insurance companies do. They make health care unaffordable. That's the role health insurance companies play. They contribute nothing. They create nothing other than obstacles. They grind health care to a halt. Through administrative waste, health insurance companies wear us down until we give up and decide it's less of a headache to just live with the headache. Meanwhile, United Healthcare, which provides insurance to 50 million Americans, recorded record profits this month. In the last quarter, United Healthcare made $5.5 billion in profit. In one quarter, in three months, United Healthcare made $5.5 billion in profits. Doing what? Collecting premiums and denying claims. That's how they make their money. Taking more premiums than you pay out in treatment. The business model for health insurance companies is to slowly kill their customers until they can be replaced by younger and healthier customers who don't need health care. United Healthcare is not a health care provider. It's a health care denier. The government can do better. In fact, the government does do better. The Veterans Administration and Medicare, Medicare for all. It's hard to get an exact number, but it has been estimated that as many as 50,000 Americans die each year from being underinsured or having no insurance whatsoever. According to Gallup, 25% Americans say they or an immediate family member, like a child or parent, delayed getting medical treatment for an illness because they couldn't afford it. The number one cause of bankruptcy in America is medical debt. 137 million Americans, that's more than half of us, 137 million Americans say they are experiencing some sort of financial hardship due to medical bills. If you're not talking about outlawing health insurance companies, you're the problem. Like kidney disease, like heart disease and cancer, health insurance is a killer. Know your enemy. You know, in World War II, we knew who the enemy was. We knew we had to destroy Hitler because you cannot coexist 
with evil. This is the face of evil. Sir Andrew Whitty. Know the name, Sir Andrew Whitty. He is the CEO of United Healthcare. That is the largest health insurance company in the world. It's the largest health insurance company in the world because it's headquartered here in America. And the rest of the world is too kind and too smart to have health insurance companies like we do here in America. This guy, Sir Andrew Whitty, is British. United Healthcare is headquartered in Minnesota. It's the world's 11th largest company. Now, Sir Andrew Whitty is the face of evil. Now, I wish him no harm. I really don't. Maybe kidney stones. Yes, I, I wish him kidney stones while he's on a camping trip and there's no morphine to help him with the pain. Yes, definitely. I wish Sir Andrew Whitty my kidney stones without morphine. But that's all. That's all. I wish him some of these stones that came out of me. These are actual pictures of my kidney stones that came out of me. This is little Carmine, Big Carmine, Tiny Al, Little Snooky, Don Pablo, Jimmy Boots, he was a monster, Lojack Scafuzo and his wife, Hijack Scafuzo. This is Russell Buffalino. This was taken, this is an MRI of my bladder early on, Russell Buffalino. This is Iceman Scarfo. This is him making his way down my urethra. Skinny Razor. Fat Man Skinny Razor. Tony Pro Abramowitz. Sally Bugs. And, of course, Jerry Vale. These are pictures of Jerry Vale swimming through my kidneys, urethra, my bladder, the great Jerry Vale. I wish all those kidney stones on Sir Andrew Whitty, the CEO of United Healthcare. I'm sure Andrew Whitty is a loving father and he's probably built something resembling the Autobahn. So like Hitler's friends, Sir Andrew Whitty's friends can say he's a mixed bag, right? I don't wish him any harm, just my kidney stones without morphine. And I'd like to outlaw Sir Andrew Whitty. He's not an American. I think he should be deported. He is evil. He runs an evil company, United Healthcare. They kill people. He's a serial killer. He is no different from anybody who runs a cigarette company. Now, we could save hundreds of thousands of lives each year by switching to Medicare for All. And I need to move on. There are other things I want to talk about. But the answer is Medicare for All. And perhaps it's time to start, stop framing it as Medicare for All. 
Maybe it's time to call this a war on greed, a war on people like Sir Andrew Witte. Maybe it's time to call these health insurance company executives like Sir Andrew Witte, not an American who runs United Healthcare. Maybe it's time to call Sir Andrew Witte what he is, a serial killer. Maybe Medicare for all isn't catching on in America because we haven't demonized the right people. It's time to demonize our enemy, like Sir Andrew Witte, the CEO of United Healthcare. He is no different from Vladimir Putin. Well, I take that back because Vladimir Putin hasn't killed as many Americans as Sir Andrew Witte has. Sir Andrew Witte is not an American. He's a foreigner, a serial killer who should be deported. Now, Sir Andrew Witte, he is our enemy. I want no harm to come to him other than my kidney stones with no morphine. But I want him to leave my country and I want his entire criminal enterprise, health insurance, wiped out. The answer to all this nonsense is holding our politicians accountable and making them promise to exterminate the health insurance companies. Forget demanding Medicare for all. It's too gentle and anodyne. This is America. We thrive on hate. Exterminate exterminate the health insurance companies. This is the only country in the industrialized world that allows health insurance companies to make the profits they make by killing so many citizens. This is the only way we can fix health care in America by exterminating the health insurance companies. Any politician who says they want universal health care or claims they want Medicare for all, but isn't willing to say they support the extermination of health insurance companies, they're not being honest and they're not on our side. Forget Medicare for all. Exterminate the health insurance companies. Anything short of that is failure. Know your enemy, then exterminate it before it exterminates you. Exterminate the health insurance companies. We can't have both. You can't have universal health care and health insurance companies. Any politician who insists otherwise is a con artist. Exterminate health insurance companies. I'm kind of back, sort of. I'm not 100%. This is uh, going to be, this is fun. This is good. This is why I wanted to come back early for, for this part of the show. This is Congressman Steve Cohen. I can't wait to show you this. Congressman Steve Cohen represents Tennessee's 9th Congressional District. He's a Democrat 
who sits on the House Judiciary Committee. Now, he's a lawyer, and that's why he sits on the House Judiciary Committee. Makes sense, right? Uh, Steve Cohn, Congressman Steve Cohn, Democrat, got his law degree from the University of Memphis. I can't wait to tell you this. I probably should have taken tonight off and come back Monday, but this couldn't wait. So Democrat Steve Cohn got his law degree from the University of Memphis. And then after passing the bar, he passed the bar. He began practicing criminal law in Tennessee, and he eventually became a judge. And then he ran for Congress. I I, I know this feels kind of unnecessary to bring up that a Democrat who sits on the House Judiciary Committee passed the bar, worked as a lawyer, served as a judge. You would think, of course, that's that's normal. That's why he sits on the House Judiciary Committee. It's reasonable to expect someone who sits on the House Judiciary Committee to be a lawyer, right? Well, apparently not. So this I'm going to play Congressman Cohen during last week's House Judiciary Committee hearings when FBI Director Christopher Wray was testifying. Now, like I said, Steve Cohen, Democrat, House Judiciary Committee, passes the bar, becomes a judge. But apparently Republicans don't think lawyers should be serving on the House Judiciary Committee. So Christopher Ray testified, was tortured by the Republicans last week when he testified before the House Judiciary Committee. He's the director of the FBI. He was appointed by Donald Trump in 2017. He's not my favorite person, right? Uh, you know, he's an attorney right there. It's a personal betrayal that he's an attorney. He graduated from Yale Law School, which should be criminal. And he's a member of the Federalist Society, which has handpicked all three of Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominees. Not a good guy, Christopher Wray. He's a Republican. And he's worth, according to Newsweek, as much as $40 million. Much of that fortune comes from working as a corporate lawyer defending Russian gas companies. All that being said, not my favorite guy, but he has testified that Antifa doesn't exist. The head of the FBI, Christopher Ray, has testified that Antifa doesn't exist. Somewhat refreshing. He testified as FBI director that Antifa is an ideology, not some centralized organization. Despite what Fox News and every Republican on the Judiciary Committee wants you to believe. Christopher Ray, not my favorite person, head of the FBI, has also testified recently that the biggest threat of domestic terrorism comes not from Black Lives Matter, but from white supremacists. And that's precisely why Republicans despise FBI Director Christopher Ray, despite all his prickish bona fides. He's got all the bona fides to be a Republican prick, except for one thing. He tells the truth. He's not willing to create imaginary enemies. Antifa doesn't exist. And Black Lives Matter 
doesn't riot. He knows that and he says it. So apparently during the hearings last week before the House Judiciary Committee, someone on the House Judiciary Committee, a Republican, questioned FBI Director Christopher Wray's standing as a lawyer. Apparently, they I, I didn't see exactly what happened. Somebody, some Republican who sits on the Judiciary Committee intimated that perhaps the FBI director was delinquent in paying his dues to some bar association, something like that. And that pissed off Tennessee Congressman Stephen Cohen. And he went on the offense and... This is what he said. And yet they had the chutzpah, the audacity, the lack of integrity to question Ray's judgment and went on and on. And I was sorry I came in here today and I'm Is sorry. the gentleman accusing us of a lack of integrity? Mr. Chairman, if you would ask whoever it is to shut up. That would be uh, Stephen Cohn telling Congressman Darrell Issa, Republican, to shut up. Uh... Republican Daryl Issa is upset because Stephen Cohen accused the Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee of lacking integrity. Okay, this is Congressman Daryl Issa. He's a Republican member of the House Judiciary Committee, and he interrupted Congressman Steve Cohen, Democrat, because he's concerned about people besmirching his integrity as well as other the integrity of other Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee. So Congressman Stephen Cohen, Democrat, apparently thinks some members of the House Judiciary Committee lack not just integrity, but an understanding of the law. Now, Congressman Cohen, Democrat, he passed the bar, worked as a criminal attorney, became a judge, Apparently, he finds it outrageous that anyone in the Republican Party on the House Judiciary Committee would question FBI Director Christopher Wray's legal qualifications. Here's more of Congressman Steve Cohen. And I heard some questions about your relationship with the Bar Association. You don't ask about membership in the Bar Association on a Judiciary Committee where there are members who never pass the bar and aren't members of the bar. And they are members of this committee in good standing. So we need to get beyond the hypocrisy and realize where we are and don't raise such subjects. So I didn't know this. Uh, and that's Daryl Issa turning his head and looking around, feeling his integrity has been besmirched. Now, Steve Cohen didn't mention names. He didn't say which Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee never passed the bar. So I did a little research. Congressman Darrell Issa, Republican member of the House Judiciary Committee, not a lawyer, never went to law school, but he's a Republican, so he gets to sit on the House Judiciary Committee. I don't know. Maybe my listeners are much smarter than I am. Maybe you already knew this. I did not. I would assume that Daryl Issa, sitting on the House Judiciary Committee, would uh, be a lawyer. Now, in all fairness, 
Darrell Issa is no stranger to the criminal justice system. We've talked about this for years on this show, Darrell Issa's criminal past. Back in 2019, when Darrell Issa, Republican, he took a break from Congress and Donald Trump nominated him to serve as head of the U.S. Trade and Development Agency. But that nomination hit a snag when the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, which had to approve him, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee accused Daryl Issa of withholding embarrassing information to the FBI when they were conducting their background checks on him. Now, we've, cro- we've covered Daryl Issa's criminal record for years. Issa has been arrested several times for auto theft, arson, threatening someone with a gun. He's been convicted of possession of an unregistered gun. It goes on and on. But he's also one of the wealthiest members of Congress. So put him on the Judiciary Committee. It's not like he hasn't had any experience with the the Justice Department. Excuse me. Okay, it gets better. Here's where it gets really good. I'm going to assume, uh, excuse me, uh, is there anything Congressman Cohen would like to say to Daryl Issa? Shut up. Yes, thank you. Uh, (laughs) I like Steve Cohen. I'm going to assume my listeners already knew this, but I didn't. Jim Jordan, he's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And while he went to law school, he's never practiced law. He can't practice law because he's never passed the bar exam. Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, never passed the bar. I don't know. Maybe you already knew this. I did not. Seems to me... I don't think it's asking too much that the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Donald Trump's attack dog, right? Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me he should have passed the bar. Congressman Cohen, anything you'd like to say to Congressman Jim Jordan? Shut up. Yeah. Congressman Troy Nels is a congressman from Texas, sits on the House Judiciary Committee, Not a lawyer, but he got elected to Congress in 2020, running on his 20 year history as a sheriff and law enforcement officer. He had been elected as Fort Bend County Sheriff in 2012. He got reelected in 2016. But what came to light when he was running for Congress back in 2020 is that he got fired In 1998, by the Richmond Police Department, they sacked him for committing 19 violations in just one year. They accused him of making false arrests and destroying evidence. It was all in one year. And then when he got elected sheriff, two prisoners in fewer than two months died on his watch and he was sanctioned by the Texas Commission on Jail Standards. Not a lawyer. Probably, uh, if he weren't a congressman, would be in need of one 
for his record as a, a police officer. Congressman Cohn, is there anything you'd like to say to Congressman Nails? Shut up. Yeah. This is Jeff Vandrew. He represents New Jersey's second congressional district. He sits on the House Judiciary Committee. He used to be a Democrat. He switched to the GOP in 2019, and he got a plum committee assignment, got to sit on the House Judiciary Committee. He's a dentist, not a lawyer. He's a dentist. Guessing he's the only Republican on the committee who's ever performed a legal cavity search. Anything you would like to say, Steve Cohn, to Congressman Jeff Vandrew? Shut up. Yeah, really, they should just shut the F up. This is uh, Scott Fitzgerald, Republican from Wisconsin, also sits on the House Judiciary Committee, not a lawyer. Shut up. Yeah, shut up. And another Republican congressman from Wisconsin, Tom Tiffany. He sits on the House Judiciary Committee. Not a lawyer. But Tom Tiffany voted against making Juneteenth a national holiday. So he's got that going for him in the Republican Party. Shut up. Well, there you have a House Judiciary Committee run by Republicans who either never went to law school or never passed the bar. And who better to advocate for Donald Trump's innocence than a bunch of right-wing idiots who haven't any clue what our nation's laws are? Phoenix, Arizona is barreling through record books with 17 consecutive days of triple-digit temperatures On Saturday, it hit 118 degrees. Tens of millions of Americans spent the weekend under heat alerts throughout much of the West and parts of the South. Death Valley, California is expected to hit 130 degrees. El Paso, Texas has had triple digit temperatures for more than a month. Here is the forecast provided by the Weather Channel. We're looking at triple digits expected through Wednesday of this week in Las Vegas, Nevada, Fresno, California, Phoenix, Arizona, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And look at the heat dome punishing Texas triple digits through Wednesday in El Paso, Dallas, Houston, Lubbock and San Antonio. Texas, of course, is the headquarters for ExxonMobil, which is primarily responsible for all this heat. This is not climate change related heat. This is caused by ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil in April reported its most profitable quarter ever, more than double what it was a year ago. ExxonMobil reported revenue of 11.4% billion dollars, $11.4 billion in the first three months of this year. Oil and gas production for ExxonMobil increased by 300,000 barrels a day. They increased their production by 300,000 extra barrels of oil and gas 
each day. ExxonMobil's burning of fossil fuels and their climate change denial has resulted in five people dying, two children missing after flash flooding took motorists by surprise in the suburbs of Philadelphia over the weekend. Flash flood warnings were in effect on Sunday throughout the Northeast, including Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Maine, and Massachusetts. The heavy rain has also caused flight delays along the Northeast Corridor. All of this is ExxonMobil's fault. But luckily... Republican Senator Tom Cotton was on Fox News Sunday, and he put it all into perspective for us. Yes, it might seem like the planet is on fire and that we're all going to die. It might seem that that's important, but people like Senator Tom Cotton remind us not to take our eyes off the ball. Senator Tom Cotton, what do Americans really have to worry about? Again, the arm, the military should not be paying for abortion tourism. I, I'm sorry, what? Abortion tourism. Abortion tourism. That's the uh, that's the big issue that you're concerned about. Abortion. Tur- is that a thing? Abortion tourism. Our military is paying for soldiers to have an all expense paid vacation where they visit blue states to perform Abortions? Is that what abortion tourism is? That doesn't sound like a vacation to me. Why would anyone use their precious time off to go to, say, New York or California so they can perform an abortion? I mean, whatever happened to fishing? Abortion tourism. Well, 60 million Americans are under an air quality alert due to the ExxonMobil triggered Canadian wildfires that continue to burn with no end in sight. This is the worst wildfire season on record for Canada, with 24 million acres of trees completely wiped out. In British Columbia, 400 new fires started in the past week alone as lightning continues to strike dry brush that then bursts into flames because it's parched by drought caused by ExxonMobil. 11 American states are blanketed with the smoke from the Canadian wildfires. The smoke is spreading all the way from Ohio to Montana. I mean, it's not as serious as abortion tourism in the military, but this seems pretty scary. The smoke from the wildfires contains particle matter that, according to the Centers for Disease Control, create lung issues, including cancer, lung cancer, or maybe we should just deny that as well. Let's deny the lung cancer that is associated with the smoke from these wildfires. I played this guy before. His name is Steve Malloy. He used to work for the tobacco companies, and now he works for the oil companies denying that climate change is real. He used He still denies that tobacco causes cancer, but he's picked up extra work denying that climate change is real and that it's dangerous. He insists there's nothing to worry about. I played him last month. Uh, Last month, New York got blanketed by the wildfire smoke. We couldn't go outside. Here he is, Steve Malloy on Fox News 
insisting there's nothing to see here. Nothing to see. Well, you can't see anything because of the thick smoke, but he insists it's all good. This doesn't kill anybody. This doesn't make anybody cough. This is not a health event. This has got nothing to do with climate. First off, these, this is wildfire smoke. This is natural. <laughs> I played this a month ago. This is wildfire smoke. It's natural. Yes, forest fires are natural. So is lung cancer and emphysema and asthma. It's all natural. You know, folks, do your own research on forest fires. Do your own research on COVID. Do your own research on tobacco. You will find money-grubbing charlatans like Steve Malloy who will say whatever it takes to keep you stupid and the profits rolling in for their benefactors. This is the Acropolis in Greece. It is empty. It is empty. Greece closed the Acropolis to tourists over the weekend because excessive heat was causing tourists to faint. Italy, Spain, France, Germany, and Poland are all reporting extreme heat, record heat in Europe. On July 7th, the world's average temperature was 63 degrees Fahrenheit, making it the hottest day on the planet in recorded history. But Steve Malloy, former tobacco lobbyist turned oil lobbyist, there's nothing to worry about, right? This is natural. Yes, heat is natural. It is natural, yes. Fire is natural. Smoke is natural. Heat is natural. Death is natural. It's all natural. Nikki Haley is the former governor of South Carolina, and she wants to be the Republican nominee for president because she thinks she has what it takes to be a Republican president. Nothing. She has nothing. She's just stupid enough, just pliable enough, just ambitious, ruthless and craven enough to serve the richest one percent. She will say whatever it takes, just like Steve Malloy, who says climate destruction is natural. Nikki Haley will say whatever it takes to protect the trillions of dollars at stake. Should America come to its senses, look at the temperatures, the flooding, the fires, the drought, the heat, the smoke, the climate refugees. You know, if we come to our senses and think, hey, maybe releasing carbon into the air is bad for us. Well, if we ever came to our senses, there are trillions of dollars in fossil fuel profits at stake. And she's there to protect those profits. Here she is at the Family Policy Alliance on Friday being interviewed by the great Tucker Carlson. Now, the Family Policy Alliance is a Christian organization. It's a 501c3 tax exempt. It was founded by Focus on the Family leader James Dobson. He's got a lot of 501c3s. His uh, Family Research Council, which is all part of this, there's the Family Research Council, there's Focus on Family, there's the Family Policy Alliance. Well, James Dobson, who started the Family Policy Alliance, his Family Research Council is listed as a designated hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. That's why Tucker Carlson has been asked to host their Friday night get together in Des Moines. 
According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Family Research Council spreads hatred for the LGBTQ community through the promotion of junk science and discredited research. You know, like Steve Malloy on climate change. Junk science and discredited research. Do your own research. Do your own discredited research. It's all out there, whatever you want. Just, you know, don't go to college. Don't get an education. Do your own research. The Family Policy Alliance is made up of the same leaders who rely on junk science and discredited research to attack transgender youth, same-sex marriage, and I love this, the concept of sexual consent. The Family Policy Alliance believes that sexual consent is a hackneyed idea. In other words, they want to get rid of marital rape, right? These are the same people who want to get rid of no-fault divorce and go back to the time when there was no such thing as marital rape. So, of course, Tucker Carlson, who so far has cost Fox News close to $1 billion in legal fees, of course, Tucker Carlson would host one of their conferences. Here is Tucker Carlson and Nikki Haley last Friday in Des Moines, Iowa. Tucker's hosting the Family Leadership Summit, and he asked Nikki Haley about climate change. Since the formation of the Earth. So do you think humans are causing this change? And do you think that we can stop or slow it down? Like, is there actual evidence? I mean, I don't... Honestly, I don't know how much is being changed or not, as much as I know that putting electric vehicles on the road is not the answer to what you're doing. Let's all applaud junk science and discredited research. This is the Republican Party. Alternative facts. Now, 30 percent, Nikki, 30 percent of all greenhouse gases in America. And this is not junk science. 30 percent of all greenhouse gases in America are produced by transportation, trains, buses, planes, and most importantly, automobiles. Electric cars have zero carbon emissions. Let me repeat, this is a fact. Electric cars have zero carbon emissions when they're on the road. The production, the manufacturing of electric cars is problematic. The production, the assembly of these electric cars does produce greenhouse gases, but that can be ameliorated by switching to renewable energy on the production end. Electricity, yes. To charge an electric vehicle, you require electricity. And that all depends on how you produce your electricity to determine how high or low your greenhouse emissions are. Energy produced by coal used to charge a car is still greener than cars that run on oil. But it's a little dirty. But countries like Norway have all their electricity produced by hydropower, which means the electric cars in Norway except for the manufacturing phase, have zero emission. That's the truth. That's not junk science. That's not discredited research. That's the truth, Nikki Haley, you charlatan. 
But the fossil fuel industry, which Nikki Haley is protecting, they would rather destroy our planet, kill us all, than give up the trillions of dollars it earns burning oil. You know, people like Steve Malloy who say things like this. This is natural. Yeah. People like Steve Malloy, he's a lobbyist. He's paid primarily to deceive just enough feeble-minded Republicans to prevent America from turning green. But he also serves as a sedative to people like Nikki Haley and Joe Manchin, what's left of the Koch brothers, or anyone else whose fortune, political or monetary, comes from destroying the planet. Self-deception is also part of this. It's not just about deceiving the American people. It's about people like Nikki Haley, Tucker Carlson, deceiving themselves. The people who deny that our planet is being destroyed by fossil fuels, well, I think some of them, I think like people like Tucker Carlson, I think half of the people are like Tucker Carlson. They're just so hateful. They want to wipe the planet clean of humanity. And I think the other 30%, there's another 30% who are religious boneheads who think burning fossil fuels will set the stage for the second coming. But then there are the people at the top of the economic and political food chain. These are the ones who own huge chunks of the oil companies. And they and their children, especially their children and trophy wives, they need these paid climate deniers like Steve Malloy to feed them scraps of willful ignorance. Lie to me. I'm beautiful. Lie to me. Tell me my performance is great. Lie to me and tell me my money doesn't come from death and destruction. That's the only way I can explain how these people sleep at night. These murderous pricks. Elon Musk purchased Twitter in October of last year. Musk, to his credit, produces the Tesla, which is good for the planet, sort of. His Tesla assembly line, however, is a cesspool of unmitigated racism and sexism. Lots of lawsuits. He's anti-union. He's anti-LGBTQ community. His own daughter doesn't talk to him. He's a bully and a right-wing fascist. And there are much better electric vehicles out there than the Tesla. He's a force for evil in this world. But other than that, I like him. Twitter has new competition from Facebook's new app, Threads, which in a week saw 100 million people sign up for it. Twitter is not doing well, not doing well at all. Ad revenue is down 50 percent, which means Musk has a cash flow problem. He's not paying his bills. Musk continues to lay off thousands of his employees over Twitter, and that has resulted in the site crashing. Sometimes it's hard to get on Twitter. They don't have the resources, the human resources, because of his debt. He is limiting the number of tweets people can read for fear that companies who design artificial intelligence are using Twitter to scrape information in order to train their algorithms and to make matters worse. And this is what I'm going to be talking about to make matters worse. The genius Elon Musk took on debt to purchase Twitter 
And to service that debt, he must make $1.5 billion a year just to pay the interest on the debt. We don't understand debt because we're all economically illiterate. And if we understood the role that debt plays in our lives and corporate America, we would understand how we're being ravaged by Wall Street. The purpose of most corporations is to rack up debt to service the bankers on Wall Street. This is Robert Iger. He is the prick of the CEO of Disney. This is Robert Iger, CEO of Disney. In 2019, this genius, Robert Iger, purchased 20th Century Fox for $71 billion, right? We worship these people who do nothing, who create nothing other than debt. Robert Iger is in the debt-creating business. $71 billion the head of Disney spent on 20th Century Fox. Like Musk, Robert Iger, the genius, took on debt, and now he must service that debt. And he's thinking of selling ABC and other television properties like ESPN. He's a failure. He is a failure. There's a 23% drop in foot traffic at Disney World and Disneyland. And most importantly, you know, we're all economically illiterate. But it's really important to understand that this failure, this prick, this smug, arrogant douchebag, Robert Iger, the CEO of Disney, is a failure. Disney's stock is down roughly 20% since it bought 20th Century Fox. Now, the, the whole purpose, we're told, of being the CEO of a corporation like Disney is to juice the stock, right? Well, that's bullshit. The purpose of a CEO is to create debt for Wall Street because the money, the real money, is in creating debt and then having that debt serviced. So this douchebag, Robert Iger, the CEO of Disney, is a failure. Disney stock is down 20% since he purchased 20th Century Fox. But Disney got bigger. But bigger isn't better. There are now fewer studios in Hollywood because America's Justice Department refuses to enforce antitrust laws. Bigger is not better. I'm going to go over this with you because I'm economically illiterate. We're all economically illiterate. And this is why douchebags, no talent pricks like Robert Iger, the CEO of Disney, they get away with this crap because none of us understand it. Disney is failing because of this prick, Robert Iger, because it got too big. It took on more debt than it could service. But who does Robert Iger blame? Not Robert Iger. He just signed a new contract with Disney for the next two years. And it's estimated that he's going to earn at least $27 million 
a year, regardless of how the stock performs. It's down, what is it, 20%? He's a failure. The stock market is up. It's been choppy, but it's been it's up. He's underperforming the stock market. He is a failure. But during an interview with CNBC last week, this smug, arrogant prick, Robert Iger, accused the writers and the actors who are now striking. He accused them of not being, quote, realistic. He's the adult in the room, right? He's realistic. He's the adult in the room who spent $71 billion Disney didn't have to buy 20th Century Fox. He's the adult. He's realistic. See, people like Robert Iger have zero talent. They have sharp elbows. They have zero talent and they know they can't compete. So what they do is they purchase their competitors And then when they rack up debt to become a monopoly, to become essentially the only game in town, they blame the writers. They blame the actors for wanting a livable wage, for wanting health care. Yeah, it's not realistic to want health care or to be able to afford rent or food. It's not realistic because I spent all the company's money on making sure we're the only game in town. I bought 20th Century Fox for $71 billion and we can't afford it, so I can't pay you a livable wage. All these studios are pleading poverty. All of them. And all of them are not doing well. They're all failures because they're monopolies. Bigger is not better. Bigger is not better. There are five. There are only five studios in Hollywood. Five. And they own everything. They, you know, they have shell companies, you know, MTV, every, you know, TNT. They're all owned by five studios. The cable networks, the, the, the TV networks, the movie studios, five companies own all of it. And they're pleading poverty. Five studios in Hollywood. Universal is owned by Comcast. Paramount Pictures. There's Warner Brothers. There's Disney and Columbia. So I'm going to talk about debt and uh, the stupidity, the ignorance of the people who not only run these studios, but the people who invest in these studios. If you invest in these studios, you're an effing moron because the business is run by morons who are only there to create debt for Wall Street. Okay, let's talk about, oh, uh, Time Warner, which is now owned by Discovery. Here's the truth. It's outrageous. Now, AT&T, that's a telecommunications company, they decided to buy Time Warner for $86 billion back in 2016. Huge debacle. It was a disaster. It lasted three years. Now, the Justice Department allowed the deal to go through. Okay, AT&T racks up $86 billion in debt and to service the debt. 
AT&T takes over. I think the guy's name was Stanky. I, I honestly think the head of AT&T's name was Stanky. So you know he hated comedy writers. Uh, they come in and they fire everybody. They, they go, hey, we just bought Time Warner for $86 billion that we don't have. You're all fired. We're cutting back. And uh, everybody suffers. Everybody, including the idiots who own stock in AT&T. This is the lie about investments, the stock market, and capitalism. Nobody will tell you this. When AT&T, when the genius, Mr. Stanky, who has none on his hang down, I can assure you, when Mr. Stanky bought Time Warner, AT&T stock was selling for $30 a share. Now, it's worth half that. Failure. That is failure. All those jobs evaporated. All that debt that was created for Wall Street. All those movies that got shelved, that never got made. All the actors and writers. All the, 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 the prop masters who got fired because AT&T was allowed by our Justice Department to spend $86 billion it didn't have to buy Time Warner. And now, now after three years, AT&T says, you know what? We, we, this is, we can't do this. So they sold to Discovery. Discovery. I remember Discovery in the 80s and the 90s. No friend of the unions. Okay? Discovery, television, all those channels, non-union. So now, this big effing studio, Time Warner, right? is owned by Discovery. Okay? That stock, Discovery Time Warner, that stock pays zero dividends. Can't pay dividends to the stockholders because it's spent billions buying Time Warner from AT&T. The stock pays no dividends. And it's down 50% from five years ago. Okay? underperforming the stock market. In other words, if you had just bought an index fund, uh, an S&P index fund, you would have made money in the past five years. If you bought Discovery Time Warner, your uh, investment would have lost 50% in five years. How is this good? This is failure. Who suffers? Everybody, especially the people who invest in the Discovery Channel and in Time Warner. Everyone suffers except the CEO who pays himself. What does Zasloff make? $100 million a year? Everyone suffers except the CEO and the bankers who create the debt for these deals to go through. The people who own stock in AT&T lost money. The people who own stock in Discovery, Time Warner, lose money. They don't even get dividends. Their share price is half of what it was five years ago. Employees are laid off. Or, or if, they're, if they're kept on, they're forced to pay, take pay cuts. And their jobs become nightmares because we have to watch every penny to service the debt to service the debt, right? The genius, that genius Elon Musk buys Twitter 
1.5 billion a year just in interest on the debt. Everybody suffers. The employees, the audiences suffer. The products get cheaper and there's less of it. But bigger is better, right? For whom? For whom? whom who, who benefits when these monopolies get even bigger? The CEO and the bankers on Wall Street who create the debt that has to be serviced, that gets traded, they benefit. The, 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 the job of a studio chief is not to produce movies in Hollywood. It's to produce debt. Disney, AT&T, let's get bigger. Let's rack up massive debt. That's what it's all about, creating debt. The money, the real money in Hollywood, the real money in American business is in creating debt. That's how Wall Street churns fees, by creating debt. And the Justice Department allows this. The Justice Department allows this because the lawyers over at the Justice Department are doing time. They do five years at the Justice Department and then take jobs as corporate lawyers on Wall Street. And they know exactly how to jump through all the hurdles and and uh, get past the Justice Department's antitrust division. Now, the stock market has been choppy during the past five years. But if you bought an S&P index fund over five years, as bad as the stock market has been, you would get a 60% return on your investment. If you just bought an index fund, you would have, you know, you would have gotten 60% back over five years. Let's look at some other studios. Comcast which owns NBC and Universal. That stock would have given you a 22% return over five years. Comcast is one of the successful studios. Still underperforming the stock market. I think it's one third of what the stock market would have given you. It's not good. It's failure, but at least you wouldn't have lost money. Netflix is another studio over five years. And Netflix is a success story. Netflix would have given you a 22% return over five years. That's not good. If the stock market is giving you 60% and Netflix is giving you 22%, that's failure. It's underperforming the stock market. Or those are two success stories, by the way, Netflix and Comcast, because at least if you invested in Comcast and Netflix, you wouldn't have lost money. Paramount. Their stock is down 72 percent over five years. That's failure. That's failure. Columbia Pictures is owned by the Japanese. It's owned by Sony. So it's hard to measure how successful Sony is because it's part of a massive conglomerate. Sony's stock is up 74% over five years. It's the only stock. It, it, Sony makes a lot. It makes electronics. It's, in multi, it's not solely in the movie making business. It outperformed the stock market. I doubt 
because of its movies or TV. And then there's Amazon Studios, like Sony, part of a much bigger conglomerate. Amazon's enormous. It's, what, the second biggest employer in America? Well, Amazon stock is up 48% over the past five years. You didn't lose money if you invested in Satan, uh, I mean, uh, Amazon, but it's still underperforming the stock market. In other words, all the destruction that Amazon creates and it's all this greed that Amazon creates, it's still not a good investment. It's, 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 it's a bad investment. Stock market is up 60% over five years. The only company in Hollywood is Sony. Only Sony outperformed the market. Bigger is not better. Why do we allow this? As I said, because Wall Street controls our entire economy. They financialized everything. And Wall Street is about debt. These studios aren't there to produce movies or television. They exist to produce debt because debt can be swapped. It can be traded. And when you trade debt, Wall Street collects fees. When you create debt, Wall Street collects fees. Debt must be serviced. Wall Street collects fees on the debt that has to be serviced. Elon Musk is paying $1.5 billion a year just to service the interest on the debt he accrued buying Twitter. Wall Street gets a skim off that. These studios are not successful. They're not successful. And the reason they're not successful is because they're monopolies. They're too big. They can't pivot with the times. They can't respond to the audience's ever-changing taste. These five studios in Hollywood are sclerotic. And you know this. If you have any subscription to a streaming service, they're not delivering fresh ideas. They're repurposing old ones. Marvel Comics, Star Wars, DC Comics, reboots of sitcoms you didn't like the first time around. They're not taking risks because they have to serve as debt because these studios are monopolies and they are too big. And they're only five. They're only five. How does our Justice Department allow this? All the networks... All the streaming services, all the cable channels are essentially owned by five companies, plus Apple, which is probably going to end up buying Disney. And none of these companies, except for Apple, are making significant money for their investors. Most of them are most of these companies are losing money for their investors because they're racked with debt. And who do they blame? Labor. They blame labor. They blame the writers and the actors for just wanting health care, a middle class existence. But whatever money these studios make can't go to the workers. It must go to Wall Street to service all the debt, the debt these studios racked up to get bigger, to suffocate the competition. 
There is no competition in Hollywood. If five studios own it all, there's no competition. And it's why 99% of what comes out of Hollywood is mind-numbing shit. Now, there is plenty of money in the entertainment industry. And it could be shared with all the workers, with the unions. But what we need is a Justice Department that not only stops these mergers before they take place, we need a Justice Department that goes in and breaks up these studios. Five studios own everything in Hollywood. That is not competition. It's not good for capitalism. It's not good for the five studios. It's only good for voracious, rapacious pricks like Robert Iger, who runs Disney. And by the way, somebody should look at all the child actors who ever worked for Disney and see what the track record is on them. Somebody should investigate the exploitation of children that takes place over at Disney. Would you put your kid into the hands of Disney? Somebody should, Ron DeSantis should look into that. This is actor Ron Perlman. Last week, a Hollywood executive gave an interview where he said that the studios weren't going to negotiate with the writers. Instead, this executive said they're planning to break the writers by starving them out. This is what he said. The executive said eventually the writers will lose their homes and they will break. Here is what Ron Perlman posted on Instagram in response. The motherfucker who said we're going to keep this thing going until people start losing their houses and their apartments. Listen to me, motherfucker. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. Some of it is financial. Some of it is karma. And some of it is just figuring out who the fuck said that? And we know who said that. And where he fucking lives. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. You wish that on people. You wish that families starve while you're making 27 fucking million dollars a year for creating nothing. Be careful, motherfucker. Be really careful. Because that's the kind of shit that stirs shit up. Peace out. I don't approve of that kind of talk, Mr. Perlman. We, we should not be threatening executives, even if you're just posturing. That's that's not the dialectic I'm looking for, where executives are terrified of the unions. You, you can't talk that way, Mr. Perlman, this way. You can't talk. I do not approve of this. The motherfucker who said we're going to keep this thing going until people start losing their houses and their apartments. Listen to me, motherfucker. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. Some of it is financial. Some of it is karma. And some of it is just figuring out who the fuck said that. And we know who said that. And where he fucking lives. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. You wish that on people. You wish that families starve while you're making 27 million dollars a year for creating nothing. 
Be careful, motherfucker. Be really careful. Because that's the kind of shit that stirs shit up. Peace out. I really don't appreciate that. I don't approve of that kind of talk. There are other ways to negotiate with the executives, but talking this way, it's just wrong. And I, I do not want these Hollywood executives living in fear where, you know, people like Ron Perlman know where they live. I do not approve of this. The motherfucker who said we're going to keep this thing going until people start losing their houses and their apartments. Listen to me, motherfucker. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. Some of it is financial. Some of it is karma. And some of it is just figuring out who the fuck said that. And we know who said that. And where he fucking lives. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. You wish that on people. You wish that families starve while you're making 27 fucking million dollars a year for creating nothing. Be careful, motherfucker. Be really careful. Because that's the kind of shit that stirs shit up. Peace out. Personally, I think Mr. Perlman owes that executive an apology. And and I feel violated by that kind of talk. I, he, he doesn't speak for me. I would never <laughs> wish bad on. Uh, well, Perlman took it down. Uh, I, he ended up taking it down. And he probably, in all seriousness, he should have. But that was like wasabi for me. That just cleared my sinuses. Here's the thing uh, that the, the studios don't get. There's a lot of things the studios don't get. Uh, writers and actors, they're currently on strike. There are two types. And there are only two types. There are the incredibly rich and successful actors and writers, and then there are, are the incredibly poor actors and writers. There's no middle class. There used to be, not anymore. There's no such thing as a journey journeyman, journey woman, journey person. There's no such thing as an actor or writer in Hollywood who kind of floats from job to job. It's feast or famine. Now, the unions traditionally smooth things out by providing health care. If you work enough each year, there's a threshold. Most writers, most actors don't make enough, don't work enough to qualify for health care. Be a different business if we had Medicare for all, wouldn't it? Then you wouldn't re have to rely on your union or your studio to keep your family alive. Uh, like I said, most writers and actors don't work enough to qualify for health care. Now, you want to starve out the writers and the actors, as that executive says the plan is? Uh, they're already starved out. That's what the studios don't get. Most writers and actors don't live in fear of losing their homes because they don't have a home. Most writers and actors can survive a strike forever, forever, because they're either already not working or the work they do before the strike doesn't pay enough. Now, this is the biggest strike 
in Hollywood in 60 years. Actors and writers have shut it down. They've shut down the industry. They are shutting it down because the people at the top uh, they're shutting it down because they're two types of actors and writers. They're the ones who doesn't matter if you shut it down, their life isn't going to change. Or they're actors and writers like Tom Hanks or Meryl Streep who never have to work again. So both ends of the spectrum have nothing to lose. It's going to be, this is going to be, listen, I hope it ends tomorrow and the writers and the actors get everything they want. I have a feeling this strike is going to last for a while. That's what a lot of people are saying. Uh, I don't like to see janitors, prop masters, teleprompter operators lose lose their work, caterers. Uh, it's a tragedy. There's a lot to be said, however, for shutting it all down peacefully through solidarity. There's more to be gained by shutting it all down than compromising and just taking scraps from the studios. Half this country can't come up with $1,000 for an emergency. It's going to be interesting to see how this strike in Hollywood plays out. Actors and writers, except for the rare exceptions, are broke, are poor. They have nothing to lose. So they're shutting it down. And I wonder what would happen if half the people in this country finally realize this government and this economy doesn't work for them. I wonder what would happen if the Americans who earn starvation wages over at Amazon, starvation wages delivering food, delivering food on starvation wages, driving Uber, picking our food on starvation wages, providing daycare, working in nursing homes, all starvation wages, and they are truly essential. I wonder what's going to happen when they finally wake up one day and say, shut it down. You know, like they do in France once a week. I don't know. I don't know if we're capable. I don't know if half this country is capable of realizing they have nothing to lose. They've already lost everything. Half this country isn't Jewish, Arab, LGBTQ, black, Hispanic, or whatever identity they foist upon us to keep us divided. Half this country is broke. That's our real identity. I'm not discounting identity politics. I, I believe that identity is very uh, important. But half this country is broke. Half this country is not participating in the economy, even though we're all working. And half this country has nobody representing them in government, even though some of us vote and all of us pay our taxes. So peacefully, legally, how do we start shutting things down until the economy and the government works for all Americans? 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I know that there's a lot of fear in shutting things down. I know the, the railway workers were talked out of a strike because America was terrified that Christmas would be canceled. I, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I know that governments and economies will never work for everyone unless everyone has the power to shut it down. You don't ask for power. You take it. Michael Brooks taught me that. You don't ask for permission. You take it. I don't know what the answer is, but I know it includes unions Strong unions, big unions, powerful unions, and a Justice Department that breaks up all these monopolies, all these studios. And it also requires an American citizenry that has enough economic literacy to realize that Robert Iger and all those other so-called titans of industries are failures. Robert Iger is a failure. He's a no-talent, arrogant prick with sharp elbows. He, like all the other studio heads, is a tool of Wall Street. Robert Iger got to where he is, to the top of Disney, because he was willing to destroy his own company in order to create debt for Wall Street. Robert Iger. Know who your enemy is. Know the face of evil. This is who you trust your kids with. Disney CEO, Robert Iger. This is the piece of shit, Robert Iger, who spent $71 billion he didn't have to purchase 20th Century Fox and then has the unmitigated gall to say actors and writers are unrealistic for wanting health care and a livable wage. From the core of my very being, Robert Iger, go F yourself. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. A uh, couple, just a couple of updates before I go. As many of you know, I was uh, sick with kidney stones. Uh, I'm feeling a little better. And I wanted to thank everyone who has sent me notes, either through the website or commented uh, on the YouTube channel or my iTunes page. Uh, I, uh, I don't want to get maudlin, but it, it, it very humbling. Uh, and I thank you very much for uh, your kind words. Thank you to the moderators who keep the chat room going here on YouTube. I think that covers everything. I'm getting better. This is just kidney stones, nothing serious, it's just pain. So don't worry about me. It's just pain that takes a little out of me. But I am feeling better. And I, uh, it is a privilege to be able to talk to you. And thank you for listening to me. 